get more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast you can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Kobe Cole. And this episode, I've titled, I Miss the Old Kanye. I'm just, I'm just happy about the response because when I first started doing this, you know, nobody had ever made music like this and actually sold records. You know, like Tribe Called Quest back in the days, it was uh, barely going gold, which I guess was good back then. But, you know, Def Jam couldn't actually picture an artist rapping about what everyday people go through actually selling some records. But I feel like it's that time, you know, where people want something like that, just an option or something to listen to. I had a chance to interview Kanye early on in his career. And in this podcast, you'll hear clips from a 26-year-old Kanye West a few days after the release of his debut album, College Dropout. In light of recent Kanye West news and the reactions to some of the things he's been saying and doing, this podcast is sort of a throwback to the young, confident, some will say arrogant, producer who literally came on the scene out of nowhere. And we all fell in love with his beats, and he had the drive and fight to achieve that goal and gain the respect of his peers and fans. You know, I represent the regular person. I represent the person that likes, who believes in God, but still like girls. You know what I'm saying? I was one of Kanye West's early supporters as a producer. And coming up in this podcast, I'm going to give you a little hip-hop history lesson on producing in the hip-hop world. But back to Kanye. So just as he's getting noticed as a producer after the release of the Blueprint album from Jay-Z, he gets into a horrific accident which shatters his jaw. Then he goes into the studio and records a song called Through the Wire with his jaw wired shut. Knowing him as a producer, but then hearing that song, I knew he was something special. I think it was all in God's hands, and he, he basically made this song for me. I feel like with the producing and with the rapping things are about to go pretty good but he just he basically stopped me and said Kanye I'm about to give you the world just know at any given time I can take it away from you so always keep me first so let's get started if I could play some music here I'd probably start with the last song on the college dropout album it was called Last Call it was Kanye doing his autobiography toasting his success by telling his story up until that moment how he was able to get away from chicago his triumphs and tragedy his label dealings his struggle to get a record deal all over a beat with perfectly inserted clips from some of the people who helped him or held him back inserted into the song to give it authenticity last call creatively is one of my all-time favorite songs in fact when i need a creative boost i listen to that song when College Dropout came out, folks didn't know a lot about Kanye, but by the time you got to the end of that album and heard that song, how could you not like the guy? He was an underdog that achieved beyond his wildest dreams. I mean, in the first verse of Last Call, he says the all-around-the-world digital underground pock, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer of the Rock, I take my chain, my 15 seconds of fame, and come back next year with the whole fucking game. So peep the correlation between Pac and Kanye. Tupac was basically a roadie for Digital Underground back in the late 80s and early 90s. Then they get a song on a soundtrack called Same Song and give Pac a verse. He is then put on the hip-hop map, and the rest is history. 
Compare that to Kanye. He starts doing beats for various artists in the late 90s, ends up doing a song for Beanie Siegel's debut album. Then he creates all these other beats that get played for Jay-Z and end up on the Blueprint album, which becomes a massive hit. And then everybody wants his beats. He was sort of a production roadie for Rockefeller, who also wanted to rap. But one of the biggest hip hop artists in the world, Jay-Z, only saw him as a great producer and not an MC. Hence, he was like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer of the Rock. My man just wanted respect. And that really is the underlying theme of Kanye West and what kind of got him started and why we all kind of liked him and fell in love with him. Kanye is always fighting for respect, even to this day. Who could not relate? For most of us, we're always fighting for respect and appreciation. I don't care who you are and what level of success you've had. There's always somebody doubting you doubting your talent, diminishing what you bring to the table, marginalizing you, as Kanye would like to say. Let's continue with Last Call. He says, now, was Kanye the most overlooked? Yes, sir. Now, was Kanye the most overbooked? Yes, sir. Though the fans want the feeling of a tribe called Quest, but all they got left is this guy called Wes. Kanye was mortal. Unlike most rappers who were laying out their fantasy, Last Call was a work of honesty, warts and all. Kanye told us a story that we could all relate to. And that's why, in addition to being this producer that made amazing music, as an MC, he became an instant star. We'll get more into Kanye in a few, but I thought we should start on the producing side. You see, before Kanye the rapper, there was Kanye the prolific producer. And in the music business, in any genre, the producer is everything. Coming up on the Backstory Podcast... Kanye's debut album, College Dropout, defies the odds. I had a deal on the table with Columbia Records, and right when I got that deal, I dropped out. Before I, I was just, I was speedballing, I dropped out before I even signed the deal. But it was pretty sure that they was going to sign me until he hit me with the three magic words, we'll call you. Kanye Amari West was born on June 8th, 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia. His mother, Donda West, was an English professor at Clark Atlanta University, and his father, Ray West, was a former Black Panther who was one of the first black photojournalists for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is the big newspaper in the ATL. His parents went together much of his life and divorced when he was three years old. His mother decided to leave Atlanta and move to Chicago, Illinois, where she taught at Chicago State University, eventually becoming the chair of the English department. Kanye and his mother eventually moved to a suburban community outside Chicago called Oak Lawn. I asked Kanye about growing up and his parents' influence on him as an artist and a role model. You know, because my father is an ex-Black Panther and my mother was an activist, I mean, she got arrested when she was six years old for being involved in the city as my grandmother. And I wasn't the only city she was in. My grandfather drove the first car starting the marches down in Oklahoma even before Martin Luther King started. And I got a lot of that in me. So I might say, you know, imagine how my girl feel uh, on the plane scared as hell that a guy looked like Emmett Till. And they might say it at school and it just it triggers something in them just to drop more instead of just dropping rhymes about throwbacks and cocaine and everything that you always hear. So it just feels good to see that influence and add what I can but still make it fun for the kids, you know. Having a mother as an English teacher was a good omen for Kanye. He was a really good student. In this interview, when I asked him about his college years, he spoke about his mother's influence on him. You know how, you know how gangster rappers be like, yo, I killed two people, so that gave me, I actually dropped out of two colleges, you know. like <laughs> a double college dropout. I went to art school originally. I had a, a, a scholarship, 
but it was only for one semester. Then the next semester was gonna cost me eight thousand. But I was really into music, so my mother was like, you know, my mother's working at Chicago State University. She still does, and I was able to go there for five hundred dollars a credit. So she's like, if you're not really into it, you might as well go here because it's way cheaper. So I went over there and was an English major, and being that uh. Ah, yeah. Being I had an English teacher in my house since I was zero years old, I was pretty good at it. I also asked him about his mom and his soul music background growing up because so much of his production was based on that soul sound. His mother was influential here as well. I mean, I had records in my house from when the records was taller than me. So I remember as a little kid, my mother having a row of records that was about as wide as the stage and... Having Frankie Beverly and May, she had some Marvin Gaye, she had Luther Vandross, she had Lil Anita. <laughs> um, and I grew up on that. She had that record player where you had to open the plastic and had the plastic just sit up like that. And uh, and I remember just learning how to do that and just playing records myself and just listening to, you know, Mays and Stevie Wonder at a young age. And just how that influences me now, all those songs. And I remember imitating Stevie Wonder in third grade. And um, I did, I just called to say I love you. I was sitting at the keyboard just going like this with the braids on. And then um, I guess it got born by the third verse and they closed the curtains on me. It was kind of bogus. <laughs> and then I lost. And then my music teacher going to tell me, if Stevie Wonder here was uh, here right now, he'd give you a kiss. I'm like, I don't want no kiss for Stevie Wonder. I want to win one. Kanye began writing poetry at five. His mom recognized that he had a passion for drawing and music when he was in the third grade. Also in the third grade, Kanye started to rhyme and eventually started to put music together and sell to other rappers when he got to the seventh grade. He wrote his first song at 13 and convinced his mother to pay for studio time, $25 an hour to record, which was a lot of money for them. And to his mother's credit, she saw creative energy within him. And Chicago's not the place where you want your kids kind of wandering around. So to keep him busy, she paid the $25 an hour and got him into some studio sessions. And it was in these sessions that Kanye crossed paths with a Chicago hip-hop producer, DJ named No ID. They instantly bonded, and No ID became a mentor. And this is around the time Kanye gets his first sampler at age 15. Now, No ID was starting to make a name for himself in the early 90s producing beats for Common, who was also from Chicago. And outside of Twister, he was really the only artist out of Chicago that had a major record deal. But when Common got put on, he literally put the city on his back. No ID produced a lot of Common's first two albums, including the classic song, I Used to Love Her. No ID is still a relevant producer. In fact, in 2017, he produced Jay-Z's 444 album. Thinking back to Kanye at 15 years old, being around No ID, it must have just really been cool for him to have a mentor like No ID at such a young age. And this is the perfect moment to talk about hip-hop and the importance of producers. What was a teen Kanye absorbing before he was unleashed as a producer and then eventually an artist? You see, producers are the heroes of the music, the creative forces, as a hip-hop head myself, I have a deep passion for producers. From day one of listening to hip-hop and loving the vibe of the music, I naturally connected with the producers, the masters behind the boards and those beats. Those beats will give you life. In the early days of hip-hop, one of the first producers that I recall connecting to was a guy named Larry Smith. He wasn't just any Larry Smith. He was an early creative force in hip-hop. One song that any hip-hop head would know is Christmas Rapping from Curtis Blow. 
that doom doom do 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 now larry smith didn't produce christmas rapping but he had a very important part in making this song he played the bass which is one of the most memorable parts of this song he then went on to team up with curtis blow on his chart type and he then went on to team up with Curtis Blow on his chart top and single, The Breaks, in 1979. He created the legendary Sucker MC beat. He also formed a group at that time in the early 80s called Orange Crush, and they dropped a song called Action. And the breakdown of the beat was... It was like a DJ's dream. Google Action... And you'll hear the beat that I'm talking about, and it will sound familiar. In fact, in later years, Dr. Dre used it for a track he was producing for his girlfriend at the time, Miss Cholet. The song was called Nicety. In the 80s and early 90s, one of the first super producer crews was the Bomb Squad. Rebel Without a Pause comes to mind from Public Enemy. The Bomb Squad gave you those unforgettable, infectious tracks. Google Rebel Without a Pause. Bomb Squad beats were like movies. You're going to get yours from Public Enemy. Bring the noise from Public Enemy. They were straight out of Roosevelt, Long Island, home to Eddie Murphy and Howard Stern. Brothers Hank and Keith Shockley, in addition to the legendary MC Chuck D, were making intense beats under the name The Bomb Squad. In fact, when Ice Cube left NWA, he went straight to New York to go work with The Bomb Squad. And that was a really big deal at that time. West Coast guys usually stay out on the West Coast. East Coast guys usually stay out on the East Coast. Early on, LL used the West Coast producer named Bobcat. But most of the time, again, they stick to their own coast. But Cube needed to make a mark as a solo artist, and he came East. And America's Most Wanted from Ice Cube is an example of that connection he had with the Bomb Squad. So let's keep going on hip-hop producers. There was always the legend. Who am I talking about? The greatest hip-hop producer of all time. I know some will debate me on this, but there's only one, and that's Dr. Dre. They'll be talking about Dr. Dre 400 years from now. One of the first beats I remember from Dr. Dre is such a simple yet psychotic beat, Boys in the Hood from Eazy-E. Man, that was dope. If there was such a category, Dre would be a producer god. His beats were like symphonies. Listen to next episode. Just the beginning, you could get lost in it. Dr. Dre single-handedly changed the direction of hip-hop several times. Think about it. There's that Easy e Boys in the Hood era. There's that N.W.A. era. Then he creates Death Row, and it's sort of like that funk era with him and Snoop. And then you got the Chronic. And then he segs to the Eminem era, right? And then he goes to the 50 Cent era. That's the power of a hip-hop producer. Prince Paul was another guy with a lot of talent as well early on. He was a part of the group called Stetsasonic. If you don't know about Stetsasonic, you need to look these guys up. They were amazing. Listen to this cut they had called Go Stetsa or this cut called Talking All That Jazz or Sally. Them beats were crazy. Paul was the kid in that crew, but he broke off from Stets and produced a groundbreaking album from De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. Go Google Me, Myself, and I in Potholes. I like to tell people to just listen to the instrumental so you can hear the masterpiece itself without the lyrics. In later years, Prince Paul would team up with the RZA, who I'm going to get to in a minute, and they formed a super group called Gravediggers. Six Feet Rising is from the Gravediggers. It's a really good album, and it was Prince Paul and the RZA that came together to produce it. It's a must listen to. As we entered the 90s, the production only got better. Production styles became more melodic, structured, and smooth. And I would say the leader of that was Pete Rock. The first time I heard They Reminisce, I got lost in it. I mean, it was a work of art. He had an entire new melodic sound. One of my favorite Pete Rock beats was The World Is Yours from Nas or Down With The King from Run DMC. Then there was Q-Tip, 
another brilliant beat maker and lyricist. He added a jazzy vibe to his beats. One of my favorite Q-Tip beats was Butter, who got the jazz. But then there was Lyrics to Go. Just go Google Lyrics to Go and listen just to that instrumental. It's just an amazing sample and an amazing track. Again, you should listen without the rhymes to just understand and respect the producer. Again, I call these guys the masters of the craft. And in the 90s, there were so many producers with all different vibes. Right up under Dre, in my opinion, is DJ Premier from Gangstar. One of my favorite primo beats is Soliloquy of Chaos. Google that instrumental. That's an amazing song. Soliloquy of Chaos would captivate you. DJ Premier tracks were so good that you could listen without the rhyming. But he made Guru, his MC, sound amazing. Then he did songs with Rakim, Nas, and Hove. I mean, a million and one questions from Jay-Z. Oh, that track alone. The remix to that track. DJ Premier. Again, so there's no controversy. I love Dr. Dre. He is my favorite producer of all time. But DJ Premier is kind of right up under him. And I grew up on the East Coast. So for an East Coast cat, Primo, his beats just bring back so many memories of that time. I mean, they captured the grittiness of the East Coast, even though Primo was from Texas. He wasn't even from the East Coast. But he migrated to Brooklyn and captured the essence of that East Coast grimy New York City vibe at that time in the 90s. One of the groups that he worked on was a group called Group Home. They didn't blow up, but dumb beats. You should just Google Group Home and listen to some of the beats that Primo created for them. Another underrated producer is Havoc from Mob Deep. I mean, Shook Ones, that just beat alone. I mean, another beat you could get lost in. You need to get the album Breaking Adams from Main Source. It's a classic album with beats for days. Large Professor was a special talent as well. Then, of course, there's the RZA, the production mastermind behind the Wu-Tang Clan. His beats were grimy. I mean, listen to the instrumental for Shame on a Nigga or Protect Your Neck or Cream. Or go to Supreme Clientele, that Ghostface album. Just listen to the beats that the RZA put together. Are you now feeling the vibe of how important producers are? Can't forget Pharrell, who started out with his partner Chad under the name The Neptunes. One of their early tracks, besides Clips, because they did a lot of stuff for Clips early. I mean, not grinding Clips, but the first couple Clips songs before they blew up. But there's a song called Super Thug from Noriega. Oh, my God. Pharrell was just... Is, I mean, not for, not was, is. He's still amazing. There were gritty beats from some skateboarders from Virginia Beach. Pharrell used to ghost produce for Teddy Riley. In fact, the first big track he got no credit for, you may know this song. It's called Rump Shaker, Rex in Effect. The point of this quick production history exercise was there was a kid in Chicago who over this period was listening intently and taking notes. This kid would turn out to be a brilliant beat maker, a sample savant. And his name is Kanye West. Out of the amazing 90s hip-hop production, a new production guy was born. And not only was he an award-winning, accomplished producer, but also an MC who was more like a rock star than a rap star. I asked Kanye about the samples he wished he did first. And this will really tell you that Kanye was listening to what was happening in hip-hop before he got his big break. Um, like, either Eminence Over You by P-Rock or, like, um... One in a Million by P-Rock, or Electric Relaxation by Chicago, or Benny Bone, maybe. Coming up on the Backstory Podcast, Kanye West goes from deathbed to superstar. My life would be so crazy that the same day, it'd be like I meet, I meet Oprah Winfrey in the morning, get a call to do Janet at the evening, 
find out I got at least a single later that day. Find out the uh, through the wire hit top ten by twelve o'clock that night before I go. That's how AV Day has been like ever since the accident. So I really didn't know a lot about Kanye West. He kind of just came about suddenly. I was very familiar with the Rockefeller crew, Jay, Dame, Biggs. The late 90s into the 2000s, they were on a roll. It was one of the strongest brands in hip-hop. So we, especially in Philadelphia, naturally paid attention to anything that came from the rock. And they had deep Philadelphia roots. I always tell the story about Jay-Z. Philly was really the first major city outside of New York to embrace Jay-Z. He spent a lot of time. In fact, we used to joke because he would spend a lot of time in Philadelphia. It's one of the reasons why he chose Philadelphia for his Made in America festival that happens every summer. Early on, when Rockefeller was defining its brand, they basically gave Philadelphia its own rock offshoot, and that was state property. First up was Beanie Siegel, a gritty MC from the rough streets of South Philadelphia. His debut album was called The Truth, and it came out in the winter of 2000. The first song was a title track, and that beat was deep. I really liked it, and that's when I was first introduced to Kanye West. So I immediately started checking out his other work. He also, similar to Pharrell, did ghost producing, and his ghost producing was for the legendary Derek Angeletti, a.k.a. D-Dot, from Puff's Hit Squad, and they were just dropping nonstop hits at that time. Once I started doing my research, I realized that he had did a couple songs for Mace's Harlem World album. He did a bunch of album cuts for a lot of different artists, but never had a big single. Then in 2000, I hear this beat, and it's from a compilation album of uh, the Dynasty. It was the Give It To Me song from Jay-Z was on this album. It was supposed to be a Jay-Z album. It ended up being sort of like a compilation album for Rockefeller artists. But there was this one song called This Can't Be Life. And I was like, wow. It just stood out to me. Mainly because of the soul. But I was like, whoa. It was just really unique how he flipped the old Harold Melvin and the Blue Note song, I Miss You. Of course, if you grew up in Philadelphia, you had TSOP in your veins. And TSOP, if you don't know what that means, is the sound of Philadelphia. The great Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff were Philadelphia guys, and they were iconic producers. Kanye was bringing that old soul to hip-hop. So then in 2001, on September 11th, 9-11, a horrific day in American history, through all the tragedy of that day, it also happened to be the same day that Jay-Z dropped the Blueprint album. And I will forever call that album Kanye's Coming Out Party. The Blueprint was some of Jay-Z's finest work up until that point. Allegedly, this album only took two weeks to put together. Jay wrote all the rhymes in two days, but it was those Kanye beats that got everybody's attention. So go back to that last call song, the last song on College Dropout, and he's talking about the beats that he did for this album and his first interactions with Dame Dash and his interactions with Jay-Z over these beats that he created for the Blueprint album. So we got a little taste of it earlier in the summer of 2001 with the release of H to the Izzo. But that takeover track, man, it was just the grittiness and the soulful sounds of those beats were, were mesmerizing. Heart of the City was another track with so much energy. It was current with a classic sound. He flipped a slow Bobby Blue Bland song into that masterpiece of a track. Now, I'm guilty as charged. I'm a Jay-Z fan from day one. And I always find a song on an album that I just love more than anything else on the album. So on Reasonable Doubt, my favorite song was Can I Live. On In My Lifetime, it was From Where I'm From. On Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, it was A Week Ago. On Volume 3, Life and Times, it was S. Dot Carter. And on a Blueprint album, it was a song called Never Change. 
And I remember this song as a kid. It's a song from David Ruffin called Common Man, Never Change. And Kanye flipped it into another mesmerizing beat. I really fell in love with that track. Shout out to my man, DJ Touchtone, the world's number one blind DJ. Anytime I'm on the radio or doing something and he's DJing, he'll drop that record because he knows how important that record is to me. So I fell in love with that track, the soul of it. And then, of course, Jay-Z with the storytelling as well. Kanye and Jay-Z were magical on the Blueprint album. This is when I was all in on Kanye. I was like, oh, my God, this new producer, he's the next guy. He's this new energy that was coming. So in 2002, he did a song for Scarface called Guess Who's Back. Again, another hypnotic beat. He did Stand Up for Ludacris. He did Get By for Taleb Kweli. And he had a huge R&B song with Alicia Keys, probably the biggest song of her career, called You Don't Know My Name. What made Kanye great was how he used samples. So let's go back to Last Call. I started the podcast talking about that last song on the college dropout. I'm telling you, if you just, you may be familiar with it. You may not be familiar with it. You may know what I'm talking about. But if you start listening to it right now, I'm telling you, you'll be, it's like 12 minutes long, but it's really good. So in this song, he tells a story of trying to get signed as a rapper. Although he received that Rockefeller chain and he was considered one of their best assets as a producer, Kanye wanted to be accepted as a rapper. He wanted to rhyme. Dame Dash was a supporter of his, but didn't think Kanye would be a good rapper. In fact, in the last call song, Kanye kept referring to Dame and Dame actually did the vocals about you don't want a brick. You you don't want a brick. But I get Dame because he was protecting the Rockefeller brand. They couldn't put out any suspect music at that time due to the reputation of the Rockefeller brand. They had nonstop hit albums and singles. Plus, Jay-Z wasn't necessarily feeling Kanye as an artist either. They loved his beats and wanted him to be their go-to guy for production. In the Last Call song, Kanye reenacts these moments when he says to Jay-Z, Yo, Jay, I could rap. And he spits this verse. I'm killing y'all niggas on that lyrical shit. Mayonnaise color bends, I push miracle whips. And he talks about Jay-Z's reaction. But he also kind of says the rest of the rap was kind of whack. Jay-Z's reaction where he says, man, that was tight. (laughs) Still no deal with Rockefeller. He had work to do as an MC. So even after all the positive reviews of his blueprint tracks, as he received continuous requests for beats from all kind of artists, they all wanted something similar to what he did for Jay-Z. And when he would say he could rap, pretty much everybody ignored him. It's not uncommon for people to put you in a box and keep you there. I'm sure it was frustrating for Kanye, but he never stopped working on getting a deal. And as you should as well, if you're in that situation right now and just you have this dream of something you want to do, you're going to come across people that just don't believe in your dream, don't believe you have what it takes, but don't let them taint your dream. And I'm sure it was frustrating for Kanye, but he never stopped working on it. As he fielded calls for tracks, he was always pitching labels for a record deal. Now, Kanye almost signed a deal with Capitol Records. He was leaning on Dame Dash for advice during this process. The deal with Capitol seemed legit, but it fell through. And of course, that devastated Kanye. Now, I played a clip earlier in the podcast where Kanye was talking about another deal that fell through uh, when he was in college. Um, I had a deal on the table with Columbia Records. And right when I got that deal, I dropped out before I, I was just I was speedballing. I dropped out before I even signed a deal. But it was pretty sure that they was going to sign me until he hit me with the three magic words. We'll call you again. Dame loved Kanye, but he was just worried that he may catch a brick. So he decided to reluctantly give Kanye a record deal on Rockefeller after the Capitol deal fell through. And again, on last call, he goes through the whole story, but added rhymes and clips of some of the people that I'm telling you about in the story right now. 
So again, I knew Kanye was this great producer, but in my brain, I didn't really think of him as an MC. I just thought of him as a producer. I didn't know the guy could rap. I didn't know anything about it. But the first time I recognized him as an MC was in the fall of 2002. But this was also the moment when Kanye's life will forever change. On October 23rd, 2002, Kanye was coming home from a late night studio session when he fell asleep at the wheel and got into a really bad accident. Thankfully, nobody died, but the other person he hit was really banged up and Kanye shattered his jaw. You will hear more from Kanye in his own words about that accident in a few minutes. I got to shout out Bobby Dash, who's Dame Dash's brother, who worked for Rockefeller. And he was the one that hit me to Kanye as an MC. He was like, yeah, yeah, no, he did all the beats for the blueprint, but my man can rhyme. I thought he was joking, but a few weeks after this accident, Dame Dash released a soundtrack to the Rockefeller movie Paid in Full and released this song called Champion that Kanye produced. So this is another song you need to Google because a lot of people don't know about this song. It's a really cool song. Dame Dash actually sets the whole song out and he's bragging about his team Rockefeller. Kanye flipped We Are the Champions from Queen, which is a classic. I thought this was cool. Dame brags about Kanye. I bet y'all niggas didn't know he could rap, huh? says Dame Dash. That's my mother effing producer. This the producer on the rock. He rap better than most rappers. Then Kanye comes in with the verse. And this is the first time I ever heard the guy rhyme. And he says, spend a lot of time in the Hampton's. Do a lot of beats you can't be on. Damn, all these fans can't be wrong. Damn, B.I.G., you can't be gone. Make those beats thugs want to rock. Make a nigga feel just like pop. Make it street, but it just might pop. Make it straight to the mountain top. I like this flow. I was like, okay, Kanye, this is all right. Obviously, in that moment, he was dealing with the accident. So let's fast forward to the fall of 2003. There was a white label vinyl floating around of the song called Through the Wire. Again, shout out to Bobby Dash from Rockefeller, who was the one that hit me to it. So I heard about the accident Kanye had a year earlier. We all knew about it because he was this producer and everybody heard that he was in the accident, but we didn't really hear anything else about him. And I didn't know the extent of what had happened. But in addition to this white label, he also cut a video that was directed by a young brother named Cootie and Shike, I think is the other guy's name. I may be saying it wrong. Side note on these brothers, Cootie and, and Shike or Shike. I'm sorry, my brother, if I'm messing it up. They did another video that was very controversial uh, called Window Seat from Erica Badu where she was walking around naked through the streets of Dallas. They also did a 30 for 30 documentary called Benji about the great basketball player, Benjamin Wilson, who was tragically gunned down at 17. So anyway, back to 2003, I happened to just meet Cootie earlier that year because he was working on a campaign for Nissan where they were going around the country in this souped up Nissan Altima. And he actually hit me to this video that he was doing with Kanye West, but I didn't put anything together. But then I started seeing it on MTV Jams, which is actually now BET Jams. But at the time, they put these videos on some rotator. So you end up seeing them every hour. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, that's Kanye West through the wire. He tells the story of what happened. You see the pictures. And then you really get a chance to, like, fall in love with this guy as a rapper. I asked Kanye about through the wire. Your accident was a, was a real life-altering experience for you. And a few days after that accident, with your mouth completely wired shut, you write and perform and record through the wire. And then this song is now like an anthem for so many people out there. How does that make you feel? I think it was all in God's hands, and he, he basically made this song for me. I feel like with the producing and with the rapping, things are about to go pretty good. But he just, he basically stopped me and said, Kai, I'm about to give you the world. Just know at any given time, I can take it away from you. So always keep me first. If you've never seen that video through the wire, 
you may know the song, but maybe you never saw the video. It's a must watch. I mean, his accident was horrific. He compared himself to Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky and Emmett Till, who was a 14 year old Chicago kid who went to visit his relatives in Mississippi during the Jim Crow era and is accused of whistling at a white woman. Then they drag him out of his house, beat him to death. His mother famously required that he have an open casket so the world could see what happened to her son. It's one of the most famous pictures from the civil rights era. So Kanye in this video was dropping a little knowledge too, like kind of having people look up information on the things that he was talking about, especially young people. So the video for Through the Wire shared a lot of pictures from his accident. And it was a good song, but it was also inspirational. I wanted to share this moment from this interview that I've been playing clips from in um, 2004 from a fan who was inspired by Kanye. She had her own situation. Check this out. Um, I actually have a comment. I just want to let you know that you really inspired me. Um, I went through, uh, well, I was close to death also last year. I was in a coma for two months and um, uh, in a hospital for 102 days. I had viral encephalitis, and I heard your song, and it inspired me to rap, actually. So I just wanted to thank you for that and for being oh, wow. resilient. Wow. And, yeah. and, you know, just keep the faith. Stay true to yourself. I want to let you know that because there's not a lot of, you know, rappers out here, like you've been saying, that, that speak the truth, and you do. You know, you rap about everyday life and things that are going on. And I'm telling you, I was in a wheelchair last year. I'm walking around here, so thank God. We I mean, got something, you know. We got something in common. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad to see you up here with us. We are. Yeah. You too. Through the wire. Look, I'm through the wheelchair. We together. <laughs> <laughs> through the wire set the stage for one of the most anticipated hip hop albums in a long time from a new artist in hip hop. And on February 10th, 2004, College Dropout was released. I don't think the label was expecting the reaction. It was an instant classic, and for Rockefeller, a new artist, they groomed from the start. His second single was All Falls Down, which featured R&B singer Selena Johnson. But there was some drama around the song, which gave Kanye a lesson on the music business. And he wasn't shy about expressing his opinion on this situation. You know, I had to take, uh, we had to use Selena Johnson on All Falls Down because of all the BS that Lauren was going through with her label. Where we couldn't, the sample was about to cost me $135,000 and Def Jam was going to pay it because they believed in the song so much. But it was so much BS with Sony and Lauren and blah, 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 that even if she did want to do it, it was next to impossible. So it just hurts if you can't give the people the music that you want to give them. You know, a lot of these kids haven't heard some of these songs back in the days and you want them to experience what, you know, your parents got to experience or what you might experience. Then there was a song that, was something we very rarely experienced in hip-hop, Jesus Walks. It was a hip-hop song about Jesus, but it was a really good hip-hop song. And I don't think radio was ready to play a song like this. People didn't know what to do with it. And I asked Kanye about the power of this song. That really came from hanging around their presidents because they showed me how to, like, say something and not make it sound too, like, contrived or too left-field. And, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but... You know, my um, family listened to a lot of gospel music, and then they had a gospel raps for the kids. I guess they thought they were playing, popping that in for the kids. And I'll just be listening to it, and it just all oh, just be really, really bad. And I'll be like, man, why God don't have no good rappers on his side? <laughs> <laughs> and I decided to be uh, one of the first good rappers on God's side. So again, the interview that you're hearing clips from was actually uh, recorded the week the college dropout came out. So you're hearing a confident Kanye West because he's feeling the vibe of 
everything that's kind of happening with him. Now, not only was he had this album out, he also had You Don't Know My Name from Alicia Keys, which is one of the biggest songs out at that time. He had had Overnight Celebrity and um, the other song that he did with Twister off of his album. And in this interview, he just starts dropping information on numbers on the project. I, I want to just tell people some of the numbers uh, right now on College Dropout. Uh, Twister, Twister's album Kamikaze came out. And so 313,000 the first week. It was the number one pop record in the country. Like 313,000 is so phenomenal to give you like, what, what would be a ratio? So people can understand how many records that is to well, sell it's, on first It's phenomenal week. for Twister anyway because he's had a struggle his whole life. And he's put out albums in the past. And I mean, what are we talking about? 15 years with Twister and then to finally come out and be number one like that? Number one pop. And then after that sold that, it, it moved my um, my pre-orders up. And right now, I don't know, it might be up from where I'm, the figure I'm about to tell you, but right now my pre-orders, I'm shipping 700000 I mentioned earlier how I was an early supporter of Kanye West. And in December of 2003, I had him actually do a show for me. So this is like three months before this interview that you're hearing. But I wanted to tell the story. So every holiday... Um, at the station I was working at in Philadelphia, I would do a free intimate concert for my listeners. So on this show in December of 2003, I had Jaheem, I had Loon, I had Khalees, who had had a huge song out called Milkshake, and I had Kanye West, and he closed the show out. He had John Legend on the keyboards, and that was actually my first time seeing them both perform together. But John, who was from Ohio, outside of Cincinnati, he also went to the University of Pennsylvania and spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. So he had actually had been listening to me on the radio. So it was actually kind of cool to see kind of Kanye's team early on. John was reaping the benefits of working with Kanye. He had just signed his own record deal with Columbia Records and would release an album later in 2004. In fact, my Christmas party the following year at the end of 2004, I called it the Legendary Christmas Party and it featured John Legend performing that night. So anyway, back to this night in 2003, Kanye shows up with John Legend and a very young Keisha Cole, who he's working with on her debut album, and she would release her first single a few months later. This was the beginnings of Kanye's imprint, Good Music. And we talked about him being an entrepreneur, which wasn't surprising for anyone to talk like that that worked at Rockefeller. I mean, we saw it in Philadelphia with state property. And I asked him about entrepreneurship and what he was working on. Yeah, definitely. That's what Dame Dash promotes that people are entrepreneurs and I got a label right now Good Music and I'm going to be signing Common doing his next album I got wow. my artist GLC wow. yeah I got GLC out of Chicago that's uh GLC hold on one second show them what part you did on the Black Album real quick alright this is what I did on the Black Album I said it's star time this man is mean He's killing all y'all jive turkeys. Y'all want more of the Jigga Man? Well, if y'all want more of the Jigga Man, say ho. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I, I got my dog, uh, John Legend. He did the What the Hell Are You Waiting For? And he also sang the Oohs. Ooh, 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 ooh. That part on uh, Alicia Keys, the backgrounds on that. I got him on a new Slum Village single, Slum Village. And, um,. I'm working on Kwali's new album. Kanye has never been shy not to speak the truth. Similar to Nas, there's no filter for Kanye. 
In this interview, I asked him about a Dwelle song that he had done at that time, and the verse that he dropped on the song, and it triggered a Kanye rant. So here's an early Kanye rant. That, that song right there, I got to bring up, you know, the problems with censorship. I said, in the beginning, I said, I get spins all day in L.A. like Fele Fair, who was my fe- uh, fellow heavy hitter. And they bleep that shit out. Excuse me, kids. And I can throw, <laughs> throw this mic across the room when I hear that bleeped out. That's that bullshit. And that, you know what I'm saying? They bleep that out. But it's okay to say flex name or clue name on a record. But I can't say, because I, I said I get spins all day in L.A. like Fele Fell. Or we could go to the D where Dwell A Dwell. DCP. And they like messed up my rhyme and everything. I just want to... You, you, you may want to get on the phone with them right now. Just really just jab out because... People always trying to censor you. Like on my album and the f- credits in the beginning, uh, I give a whole page where I thank God, you know, and it, it's, it's like halfway thank you, halfway a prayer. And I say a couple curse words in it, and I open up my album, and the curse words is like crossed out. And I ain't cross them out. So again, back to this interview in 2004. As I was preparing for this interview that you're hearing in 2004, one of my on-air talents, Laia, who was a big Kanye fan, said to me, you know, what Kanye is doing in hip-hop is kind of what the great Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff did for R&B back in the day. And it would be cool to invite Kenny Gamble to the studio session that we were doing with Kanye. I thought that was a great idea. So Laia knew the family and was able to get Kenny Gamble to come. And I kept telling Kanye, I got a surprise for you. I got a surprise for you. Now, a lot of you may not know who Kenny Gamble is. Gamble and Huff, if you go back to the 60s, you had... Barry Gordy in the Motown sound. But the 70s were owned by Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, and they went by Gamble and Huff in the sound of Philadelphia. And for what Kanye was doing, these were sort of like the architects of that soul, and Kanye actually sampled some of their music. And it was interesting at that time because Kenny was a huge fan of the Alicia Keys' You Don't Know My Name song. So peep out how I surprised Kanye West with Kenny Gamble. All right, so look. We in Philadelphia, and I said, remember I said I had a surprise for you? Yeah. You were like, to me, you were like one of the most impressive up-and-coming producers. So I said, if we're going to do it behind the beats, you in Philadelphia, I had to bring Mr. Kenny Gamble from the sound of Philadelphia here to meet you, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 What's going on? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Kenny Gamble. So I figured we'll go behind the beats and we'll bring one of the masters of soul music here, Mr. Kenny Gamble. What's happening? How's everybody doing? Kanye got all shriveled up. (laughs) Sound good, man. It's a good looking. Thanks. So go ahead, man. Ask him a question, man. It's Kenny Gamble, man. Man, can I get a discount on some of them samples? Uh, <laughs> can I get just a little public? Because you like, I think you got me. You took forty five percent on that. Just can't be life. Uh, that hell, Melvin. Can't be life. Did you use that one? Yeah. Yeah. Man, shoot, man, shoot, man. Well, you know, Jay Z. He used. Uh, he's got one of our songs on the Black album. Which one he used? Um. The song with MFSB is called... Uh, what More Can I Say? Is that one? No, Can't Get Something For Nothing. I don't know what the name of the of okay. rap is, you know. But, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, What More dun, Can I Say? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, that one right there. I know y'all probably... You probably got him on a uh, pub shit. I like it. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's wonderful, though. It really is good. 
So what made what made you um, uh, with Alicia Keys? You know, that's my, my favorite record there. Uh, oh, for real? You don't know my name? Yeah, yeah it's a good one. It reminds me of um, a song we did a long time ago with the Intruders and the Whispers called I Want to Know Your Name. It reminds me of that. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it, but it reminds me of it just it, a little it, bit. It ain't close enough to go to court on no, it. No, not to go to court. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it just has the same kind of format, you know, same kind of feel. You remember that song, I Want to Know Your Name? Yeah. Well, you know, I, from listening to so many samples, that's how I came up with the idea for her to do the talking part at the end. Mm-hmm. That I would sit and try to find an open part through the talking. Right. So I listened to it all the way, and I found out, you know, they would get real exact with their words. Like, mm-hmm. baby, I, was, I had to stop at the phone booth, and I and, and I went over to uh, Leroy House. And it, it, it get, whereas nowadays, they be like just shouting out their managers at the end of right. the record. Who came up with the part about, hey, can you hear me now? Who came out with that with the phone? Um, I don't want to say on the radio, but I I wrote a, a good. I had a high influence on a good percentage of the talking part. That's great. Is that a good political way to say that on the radio? Definitely. <laughs> so Kenny, yeah, that's Alicia Keys. As a as a producer from the from the seventies and and man, I mean your hits are endless. What do you think about the up and coming producers like the Kanyes, like the Pharrells? How does that make you feel? Because you kind of were one. Of, you were kind of them. 20 years ago well I feel good I think it's um, I think it's very creative what's happening with music today I was just uh, talking to a friend of mine and it seems like music has taken a whole nother uh, it's almost like recycled music is being recycled and it's like um, it's like a fusion of, of generations that's happening because I mean who would have thought years ago that you would speed up a record and then rap over top of it becomes, I mean, Shaka Khan's record. I mean, is she singing on that? Is that Shaka Khan singing? Yeah, it's, but it's, it's just a sample sped up. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that it's sped up, you know, and you can still hear that as Shaka Khan, but that's not what's featured. You're What you're saying is being featured. So, I mean, it's very clever. I think it's great. Man, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you like it. I, I was hoping I didn't do disservice to the samples because I heard some people chop up samples and they just, they. I, I feel like they don't love the music. Mm-mm. You know, you got to have a love for it to start off with. And just, it's not about radio, you know, what we think is going to fit on radio. We make radio fit around what we want to make. That was such a great moment. I'm friends with Kenny Gamble to this day, and he brings that moment up to me all the time. He appreciated having that moment with Kanye, and Kanye appreciated having that moment with Kenny as well so they could share producer stories. On my next Backstory podcast, the one after this, I will be speaking with Kenny Gamble and going over his entire career. I tell you it's a must-listen, and I'll give you a sneak peek at the end of this podcast. So back to college dropout. That was fuel to the flame of Kanye West. He sold 440,000 copies his first week, and for a new artist that's unheard of, to date, College Dropout is his best-selling album. It sold well over 3 million copies, 4 million worldwide. He received 10 Grammy nominations, winning three. This was the beginning, though, of a lot of frustration for Kanye. He would win, like, the rap categories, but not the big categories like Album of the Year, Song of the Year. He was the new it guy in pop music, and he started to get requests to work with not just R&B and hip-hop artists, but pop artists as well. We discussed who else he was working with at that time. Like, I wish I had some of my records I could play for y'all right now, like the joint I'm doing for... Ah, oh, man. It's, I can't say. I can't, oh, man. Who you nah, working with, man? No, nah, I can't. I, I, did, I just did... Not the song she has out right now, but it'll be out 
I did Janet Jackson's first single. But, um, yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> is it an old soul sa- sample in it? Man, is it? My God, this this one right here. And the drums is crazy on it, too. But I, it's other people I'm working with. I can't mention them because of that situation. His excitement to be working with Janet Jackson was written all over his face. Okay, so... If you search Kenny Gamble and Kanye West on YouTube, you will find a few videos from this interview that we did, and you'll see some of this stuff. It's kind of grimy, but you get a chance to kind of see Kanye in this moment. He was so blessed to be alive and to be having the success that he was having. I mean, think about it. I couldn't imagine dreaming of working with some of the greats in music than actually those greats come seek you out and pay you top dollar. We also talked about who he wanted to work with that he hadn't worked with up until that point. Now, you may be surprised at who he wants to work with the most, but knowing Kanye, like we all know Kanye, you won't be surprised. Peep this out. Before this sample, sample like thing on the offers down, I really thought I wanted to work with Lauren. <laughs> I really, really did. Um, for the most part, all my dreams have come true. And I got Janet. That used to be my main thing. I tell my gym teacher back when I was 14, I forgot my gym shorts. I don't have my I don't have my gym shorts. I'm about to do beats for Janet Jackson one day. So, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, all my dreams come true. I finally got to work with the artist I've been trying to work with my whole life. And that's me. Wow. So, this is everything. Like, I, I drew my first album cover out back when I was in third grade. You know what I'm saying? So, I drew that ad over there, too. So, we're just keeping it in the, the same tradition. So... Every, you, you can't imagine like I, I wish that I could take you know the joy that I feel in my heart right now about where music is going the place on the charts that what I hear from the barbershops the streets the beats everything the feeling like and, and just put that in a, in a package in a present and get that away to people that I love for Christmas because it's, you know I feel better than ever like I'm on top of the world and I guess the accident was just the you know the the storm before the sunshine see what i'm saying that's typical kanye right there that was just 26 year old kanye we also talked about his day-to-day life now that he was having this tremendous success it was actually quite unbelievable considering he was two years removed from almost losing his life in that car accident he was very spiritual and humble and thankful and he talked a little bit more about his accident and where he was in that moment because my life would be so crazy that the same day It'd be like I meet I meet Oprah Winfrey in the morning, get a call to do Janet at the evening, find out I got at least a single later that day, find out the uh, through the wire hit top ten by twelve o'clock that night before I go. That's how every day has been like ever since the accident. Where you know, think about how powerful different executive producers have been in the game. You know, like if you got Puff Daddy, if you got Dame, Suge Knight. Uh, Master P, Jermaine Dupree, all these different people that have executive and how they make things happen for their artists. Uh, I, I have no doubt that God is the executive producer of my life. And so he makes things happen so incredible that I just had to sit back and just take a breather and just, just thank him for everything. You know, thank him for the Janet Jackson, thank him for the Alicia Keys opportunity, thank him for quality, and, and even for the bad. You know, when I sat there and I saw my jaw separated and I saw my face enlarging like some off the movies like on Teen Wolf or like on Thriller when his face changed right like my face was changing right before me like y'all saw the accident pictures when I saw myself my face wasn't anywhere near that swollen it was getting bigger as I looked in the mirror 
And then it was twice as big as what y'all actually saw pictures of. That was like three days later, those pictures that they took. No one wanted to take pictures of the other accident. So just for me to have went through all that, I, I just know that God is working in my life tremendously. I had to just keep on bringing them up. You know, I don't feel like it's overkill to keep on bringing that up. As I was preparing to do this podcast, it really just hit me how interesting it is to hear all of this right now in light of where Kanye has gone the last few years. In this interview, I asked him about what his legacy would be as an artist, and his response was definitely a look into the future. I think just by bringing his soul back to the forefront, it's, it's a lot more that I'm going to contribute before I'm, I'm out of here, you know, opening up the, the doors for people to rap about real music because you know nowadays like back in the 70s our, our parents had Marvin Gaye and Marvin Gaye didn't have songs where you know he let his guy sing the first verse and then he came in the second verse talking about how good he sang all his other albums and stuff it's it's more about a message what I get across with this album itself more than the raps one of the beats is message and melody which is the key to pop songs and pop is good to me, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know my name. You know, just like a week ago became the most urban, most record played on urban radio of all time. It just beat in the club for most spins of all time. And that's pop. That's good. Slow Jams is the number one pop record in the country. That's good. I mean, the population, like, it's popular. People, a lot of times with hip-hop, they have something against that word pop because you picture, you know, uh, boy bands, Whatever, I want all my songs to go pop because my favorite artist of all time is the king of pop, Michael Jackson, right. and I, right. I love this song. That's right. Yeah. So I want basically what I contribute is I'm trying to make hip hop be pop. I want real hip hop music to be the most popular music. Well, it is, isn't it? <laughs> now nah, I'm talking about straight. Oh, the, okay, no hi hats, straight I underground, straight message, straight uplift your soul when you hear. It be like on a radio all day you okay. know what I'm saying well you, you 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 leading us in that way that's good he was groundbreaking at that time but his vision is actually coming to light hip-hop is now the most popular genre of music in america for the first time in history hip-hop artists now are pop artists who sell and stream more records each year hip-hop artists no longer have to pander for pop music airplay they make the same songs no special versions that pop audiences have to grasp to it's not uncommon for Drake, Kanye, Jay-Z, Kendrick to get airplay out the box on pop stations. Artists used to have to do special versions or there would be a completely different song for pop stations. Kanye was right when he talked about his legacy, about what he wanted out of music, and he's still only scratching the surface. He gave us creative vision, confidence, and constantly pushed the envelope. He would drop several more albums and become an even bigger success. He also ventured into fashion, having his own clothing line. In 2005, he released his follow-up album, Late Registration. It was highly anticipated, selling almost 900,000 in the first week. With songs like the monster number one hit, Gold Digger, Diamonds, Heard Him Say, Hey Mama, or Touch the Sky. It was another triple platinum album. He got five Grammy nods, including Record of the Year for Gold Digger, which is his biggest single to date. Again, he won the rap categories, but not the bigger prizes, which continued his anger and frustration as he was cementing himself as a superstar artist. He just wanted that respect, similar to when he wanted the respect of being a rapper. It's the same story with Kanye. It was also in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans. 
thousands of people died. And the controversy was how George Bush, the president at the time, and his administration handled the rescue and recovery. A lot of black people suffered. And we all watched it on television as the government just really wasn't as urgent as they needed to be. There was a huge telethon to help raise money for the victims of Katrina. And Kanye would go on this telethon to help raise funds. And he went totally off script and said what many of us were thinking, but didn't have that kind of platform to say. Go to YouTube, find the video. It's two minutes long. He touches on the lack of response by the government, how black families are being portrayed as looters, whereas white families weren't. Oh, he went there. But mainly he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. This, by the way, stung George Bush. He would write about it in a book after he left his presidency and, and say how he was really hurt by that moment. But again, Kanye was always going to tell it like it was. In 2007, Kanye was about to release his third album, Graduation. He was turning 30 that June and he threw a birthday party for the ages. I was able to get an invite. He was the Louis Vuitton Don, so it made sense that he threw his 30th birthday party at the premier Louis Vuitton location in America on Fifth Avenue. It was one of the best industry events I have ever attended, and I have been to so many in my career to name. I knew he was a superstar, but it was on this night I realized the impact he had on the industry. It was a who's who of hip-hop, Hollywood, fashion, modeling, culture creators all coming together inside the Louis Vuitton store. Google Kanye's 30th birthday party and you'll see all the pictures of who attended. It was everyone. I mean, I just remember Jay-Z and Puff coming in late. I remember Mariah Carey being a little tipsy. I remember a Pharrell just kind of hanging out. A young Rihanna who was just running around. I mean, she was a teenager. And at that time, Kanye was engaged to his long-term girlfriend and his parents also attended. It was, again, one of the nicest industry events I had ever been to. Later that summer, on September 11, 2007, six years exactly after the world discovered Kanye on the Blueprint album from his production, he releases the album Graduation, led by the Kanye West anthem that really, if you were to say there was one song that would define Kanye and who he is and his personality, can't tell me nothing. La, 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 wait till I get my money right. That's one of my all-time favorite Kanye songs. It warmed us up all summer in preparation for the album that featured songs like Stronger, Good Life with T-Pain, and Flashing Lights. All amazing singles and the visuals of his videos were even better. Kanye was still on top of the world creatively and graduation sold just under a million his first week, going on to almost sell three million. So 2007, again, Kanye's on top of the world. He celebrates his 30th birthday. He releases his third studio album. He sells more copies on the first week for the third album in a row. And then tragically, two months after the release of his album on November 10, 2007, his mother, Don DeWest, dies at the young age of 58 of complications from a plastic surgery procedure. This is where, in my opinion, Kanye changed. And some of you may feel the same way, but I don't I haven't lost my parents. So I don't know what would happen in that moment or how I would react to that. But I'm sure it was pretty traumatic. He was very close to his mother. The following year at the Grammys, he received nine nominations for graduation, but only won four. And again, did not win album of the year. And again, Kanye was hurt. Remember earlier, he talked about his legacy and expectations. He could never win the big prizes that are voted on by his peers. He would seethe at the disrespect. He took it personal. 
Then there would be the Taylor Swift incident in 2009 where he goes on stage as she accepted her VMA over Beyonce, who has single ladies out. A slightly intoxicated Kanye who was drinking during the awards show with his new girlfriend Amber Rose in tow. Bum rushes the stage and says Beyonce was the greatest of all time and should have won. Then famously does the Kanye shrug. This would taint him in the eyes of many. And he received a lot of criticism, including from President Obama, who called him a jackass for that stunt. There have been numerous moments of shock for Kanye since then. And in one of his most recent albums, he mentions, I miss the old Kanye, reacting to the criticism from his fans. Regardless of how you feel, Kanye West is and will always be a creative genius. Thank you guys for listening to the I Miss the Old Kanye Backstory Podcast. This is one of my favorite podcasts so far that I've done. Um, and I appreciate you guys for listening. It's a little long, but I, this is Kanye West, right? Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, as we celebrate Black Music Month 2018, I will bring you one of music's most successful producers of all time, Kenny Gamble from the legendary Gamble & Huff producing team. I remember the last time me and you did a, a interview with Kanye West. We surprised him. He never met you before, but he used some of your samples. Oh, yeah, he sampled a lot of our stuff. You guys sit down, and he was like a kid in the candy store. It was beautiful. Thank you for listening to the Backstory Podcast. I'm Colby Cole. Get more of the Backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast. You can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level.